morning, church. Everybody good? Yes. Okay, it could be a little bit better than that. I know I was telling somebody I'm on my fourth cup of coffee, okay? And so uh, I know that you're like, what in the world? But y'all doing good? Everybody good? Man, what a beautiful fall day. And um, the Braves won last night if you're a Braves fan. And my Tennessee uh, volunteers look trashy. So, uh, but anyway, uh, so good to see you as you just saw and as Brandon mentioned. Man, we're anticipating God to do some amazing, amazing things. If uh, you have called this place home for the last couple years, you know two years ago, we started really a two-year intentional initiative that we called All In. And really challenging ourselves, uh, whether it was the staff or you guys, hey, how can we be all in for God? And so that's coming to a close in December. And we have just been walking as a team, as a staff to say, hey, what is God calling us to next? Like, what, let's just think about what does he want us to do? And this whole idea really under Wayne's leadership came of let's be one. As he said in the video, you, you don't need me to tell you that over the last two years, um, churches all around the world, people, our country have been so divided and not unified. Um, we're like, man, we need to be like that. If you look at the early church, they were one. They were doing everything together. And because of that, God did amazing things through the disciples, through the early church. And uh, we want to we kind of get back to that. And so that's going to take unity on our part. And so this, out of that, birthed this one initiative where we are really praying for three main components of this. And we're going to start this series next week, and you'll unpack, we'll unpack it together. But the first one being that we're praying that we are one church. That even though we have five campuses, that we are together in this. That we are working together uh, at the same mission, all those things, because there is more, we can have more influence uh, with us combined in these efforts than just being one church here and one church there. We're one church, multiple locations. But we're also praying uh, one prayer. And we want to be unified across all of our campuses to have this heart, this posture, and this prayer of really, God, just use me. I don't, uh, that's like a dangerous prayer, but it's one that we're like, hey, how, God, how do you want to use me in this season? And so we're praying that together. And then finally, the third thing is one life, that we are praying that beyond anything that we can imagine, that God would use you and God would use me to impact one person's life, that they would come to know Jesus, that you would have the opportunity to lead them to Jesus. And that starts with, I don't know about you, I mean, I'm a pastor and I'm guilty of this, but at times it's like, I'll pray for that person. They need to come to church. They need to know God, all these things. But then we're like, we're kind of standoffish. We don't do anything about it. And really, this is a prayer and an intentionality to step into it and say, how can God use me in this? And so uh, I just challenge you for the next three weeks, come, be attentive, Man, just dig into it and really allow God to speak to you. How does he want to use you in these next two years? It's really, really, really exciting. And that brings us to uh, our last week of this Revive series. If you've been here, kind of in conjunction with the whole One Initiative, man, we have been praying for God to just start a revival in our hearts. And I know when I think of revival, I think of like old school church, like a tent revival and a pastor comes to town and preaches a fire and brimstone message and people come to know the Lord, okay? But that's not what we're talking about. We're saying that God is stirring something in us 
that we are no longer complacent to just say, hey, I'm okay with just being okay. That there is a spiritual awakening because I don't know about you, and I've said this over and over, but and I, I, don't, I don't want to say it's happened in the last two years and just blame COVID. I feel like we blame COVID for everything. But, man, we're exhausted. We're just tired. We're worn out. You know, we're stressed. All these different things. And, man, we just want God to do something amazing. And so over the last couple of weeks, I've challenged you really with two big things. One being, as we looked at the passage in Revelation the first week, do not love religion but love God. That over anything, man, we could, we could talk about the things of the church and traditions and rituals. And man, I just love the music and I love this and love that. Love God first and foremost. Because God spoke to John in Revelation and said, hey, you know, like you have fallen from your first love. You've fallen out of love. And maybe you're here and you've never had a time where you said, hey, God's my first love. Like I've surrendered my life to Jesus. Man, I would love to talk to you about that. It's nothing embarrassing, man. It's life-changing. And I wouldn't do anything to embarrass you, but to help walk you through what does that look like for you to give your life to Jesus and for him to totally rock your world and be everything to you. So you don't just love church, but you love God. So that's where it starts, that if revival is going to happen, you and I need to be passionate passionately in love with God. But the second thing that we talked about last week is in order for revival to happen, man, we, we need to be in God's Word. It needs to be uh, center stage in our life. We cannot expect God to do big things in our life and not be connected to reading the Bible. Um, I know sometimes I'm guilty of this too. Man, sometimes it's like, is that even relevant? I don't really understand that. This didn't do it for me. That kind of stuff. But as we're diligent and we form the habits of reading Scripture, man, we, there's like an intimacy that happens with God. And for revival to happen, that needs to happen um, in our lives. And in its simplest form, those are really like two things, love God, love the Bible. That sounds super churchy, very cliche. Like you probably, if you went to VBS when you were four at your grandma's church in the, 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 the hills of Tennessee, you know, I don't know. But it's like love God and love, love church. So simple, but so true. But here's the problem. Is that I would say most of us know that. We know that we should love God and we should love the Bible, but somewhere along the way, we get off of that path. And we were talking about this as a small group this week. I think it really boils down to one thing. We've talked about it over the last couple of weeks on Sunday. It really comes down to one thing. It's really one word that's a really powerful word. It's actually a very detrimental word if you think about it. But that one word that gets us off where we should be in our walk with God is busyness. Now think about this. I don't know about you. I, I know I say this all the time. When you see someone, hey, how's it going? Our natural response is to say, man, I am what? Busy. I'm so busy. And there, there's so many times that I say I'm busy, and I kind of, they're like, oh, really, what you been up to? And I tell them, and then I'm like, what about you? And they tell me, and I'm like, I oh, well, really am not that busy. <laughs> Have you ever had that moment? You're like, that was a lot of busyness right there. I'm really not that busy. And if we're really transparent, a lot of times our busyness is filled with just like the dumbest things. Like you could just 
watch Instagram reels for hours at end. Or, you know, play fantasy football. Or find yourself edging out on some TV show that you don't even care about, but you find yourself watching it. You know, there's, uh, have you ever had those days where you get home from work? And I know, like, someone will be like, hey, what'd you do today? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> have you ever had those? And then what's interesting is that because of COVID, it shifted where our busyness looks a little bit different because many of us are working from home. And so now we're like always tethered to work. So now we can, we have that work computer instead of starting at nine and ending at five. Now we're looking at like at eight and we're answering that phone call at eight o'clock at night. And so it's like, we're always connected to that. And these, this busyness just gets us off track and off the path of really loving God and loving his word. What ends up happening is those things are no longer a priority. They're more of an afterthought. We get so busy and we're doing our things, doing our things, doing our things. And then weeks go by, months go by. And it's like, you know what? I should probably pick up my Bible. Or, you know, I need to go to church. And so the busyness, maybe it's starting a, life, starting a new family in your life or starting a new job or transition to move. And, you know, I might step on some toes here. But even like the whole COVID thing, people watching at home. And if they need to watch at home, that's, that's great. You know, and that's fine. I get that. I'm not trying to, like, force people here. But it forms a habit, and it's like, hey, we miss you at church. And we'd love to see you. Yeah, we've been watching online. And I always do this. What was last week about? Oh, 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 oh I, I, oh, I, I was busy. I'm like, oh, yeah. See? See what he did there? All right. But think about that. We get off kilter. And here's the thing. If you don't hear anything this morning other than Scripture in this one point, I'll be okay with that. Because here's the thing. When God is not a priority, eventually we will spiritually starve to death. When God is not a priority in our lives, we will eventually starve to death. Now, I'm not trying to make light of this point, and I would probably, uh, most of the men in this room would probably agree, and if you don't agree, your spouses would definitely agree with this, but there are times in my life as a man that when I get hungry, I get hangry. Are you with me? Like you've skipped a meal, you get a little irritable because you're hungry. You're like, man, I need some food. Like right now I can fill in my stomach. It's like, I need to eat. And so it's like this, you just get uh, irritated easier and all these different things. And I really do think, I know this is a cheesy illustration, but think about this for a second. I think that we live in a hangry world. Because if God is not a priority in your life, how are you being fed? How are you giving, how are you getting something to drink? How are you growing in your, in your relationship with God? And we live in a hangry world because our world is full of people that aren't being fed. They're not in God's word. This has creeped into the church. That you have people that go to church. They love religion. They love the things of God. They look good on that. They might be in, the, in Bible studies. They might tithe. They look like a good Christian citizen in the church. But then at the end of the day, they're hangry people. Because they're not in God's word. They play the part. 
or look, they looked the part, but they're not really digging in to Scripture. And when I see that, if I'm not a Christian, I'm like, I don't want anything to do with that. It's fake. And we can't be that. Because what ends up happening is we don't feed and you don't drink. Man, you starve to death. You can ask my wife Sloan. I love the show Alone. Have you seen that show? Essentially, the premise is they put, I think it's 10 people, they put them like in this random location and they spread them out um, by several miles and they're able to pack some items on a checklist and the last man standing wins. And part of the thing that happens as you can imagine, they begin to starve. They're hungry. And like, there's like people on there, they're like, I'm eating uh, rose nips. And I'm like, what is that? And they're like going around like, like I'm like, okay, I would die. Okay, I'm out. Like, where, where's the nearest five guys? You know what I'm saying? Like rose nips, like I don't even know what that is. It sounds like something in a florist, okay? And so uh, they walk around, but here's what happens. They starve, and then in the starvation period, they become delusional. And they start to think things, and they're just like crazy, and then they get so delusional. Uh, I saw a season this past season, literally, I don't know how this happened, but it was like a, like a dead bird was like on the river or the lake and like floated ashore, and the guy's like, I'm going to eat it. And they show like in the subtitles, like, you know, if they're wet for this long, they carry disease and stuff, and then they end up eating it, and it doesn't matter how you cook it, and they get sick. That's the world we live in. We're not getting spiritual food, and so we're not being fed. We're starving to death. And we see in Scripture that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He also says, I love this story. I love it because I can just relate to it. Is that you have this story in John 4 where Jesus and the disciples are going from town to town, and Jesus wants to take an alternate route, and he wants to go through a place called Samaria. And the disciples are like, you can't go there. We're Jewish. Like, there's a cultural thing that's happening right now, and Jews don't associate with Samarians. And so Jesus is like, we're going. Because he knew that there was a divine appointment that he needed to meet this lady. And so at this well, there's a Samaritan woman who's thirsty. She's in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, because of the shame carried with her reputation as being pretty scandalous. And, and so it was normal to go and fetch, uh, fetch water um, in the morning when it wasn't so hot and in the late afternoon. She's in the middle of the day. No one's there. And Jesus meets her right where she is. And he says, hey, are you here to get water? And he's like, let me help. And she's like, hey, you're not going to be able to help. You don't have a bucket. <laughs> and he said, well, let me kind of tell you this. Everyone who drinks the water of this well, they will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. Now you got to imagine that lady's like, uh, okay. But then he begins to tell her about her life and exposes some sin. Some, it's a harsh truth. But we see her life has changed. She goes back and tells everybody who she encountered because he met her need. And for us, what we're going to see this morning as we close out this series is in order for us to really truly experience revival. For us to really be used by God, man, we have to hunger and thirst for Jesus. And we have to find the satisfaction of those things in him and him alone. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm chapter 42. We're going to be in 42 and 43. Now, if you're not familiar with Psalms, 
It's a collection really of ancient hymns and poems. Uh, many of these things uh, the early church would have memorized or they would have sang. We come across a song, and chapter 42 and 43 in its original context were actually together. And you'll see that there's some repetition in both of them. And the writer writes, this is a really uh, intensely personal psalm, and uh, that really is just fully transparent, just letting it all out, putting it on the table. And, and so let's read this together, and we'll kind of break it down a little bit in our time left. Here's what the psalmist writes. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, not the dead God, not one of the gods, not a Greek God, but the living God. And when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Now think about that hunger for a second. He's saying my food has been my tears. Now I think there's part of that that's metaphorical, but there's probably some truth to that. And it says, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? I love this. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, and therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and the Mount of Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, here it is again, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Man, what a powerful, powerful song. I know that's a lot to take in, and actually I'm quite jealous that I can't write like that. <laughs> But in these words, we come across this psalmist who is in complete desperation. And that brings us to our first point, that if revival is going to start within us, there's, a cer there's certain aspects that we're going to look through. And the first one is the desperation we feel. That we have to come to a place as believers that God is everything. That there's this desperation and longing that we hunger for and that we thirst for. The psalmist does this incredible illustration of a deer who pants. A deer who's panting for flowing streams. And he says, my soul is like that. It pants for you, God. My soul thirsts. 
for you. And so he has this beautiful illustration of probably this deer that maybe it's being hunted or it's exhausted and it comes to the stream and it's panting, it's in need, and this longing for God. And that right there in and of itself is this beautiful illustration that really has me stop and say, do I long for God like that? Do you long for God that way? Because the tension that you and I face is that for many of us, while we might have wishes and we need this and we want this, if you really think about it, all of our needs are really met. And I, and I really think in American Christianity, we don't really long for anything because we have everything. And so we kind of apply that to God and say, why would I long for God? I love him. He's out there. I know he's, he's real. I'm thankful for Jesus. I love my church. But do you long for Jesus? Like every day, like passionate and, and just the zeal to say, I want more of God. And what I love about the psalmist is there's actually this sense of urgency because he says after those things, he says, when shall I come and appear before you? I don't want to take a number, God. I want to be right in your presence right now. I want to be walking with you. I want to be madly in love with you. I want to see you. I want you to use me. I want those things right now because I long for you. And I'm going to tell you, if you really think about our lives, because he's in a state, this guy, uh, the, the, the psalmist, is saying that he's in this state of like depression, essentially. He's questioning, he's doubting in this of, I just don't know where God is. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But I really do believe that in the lowest points of our lives, that it could bring the highest reward. Because in those times of desperation, God does work if we allow him. Because oftentimes in our lowest points, we either are faced with, hey, let me, I'm just going to trust God. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand. There's a lot of pain and hurt and all these things. I just need to follow after him. I'm going to trust him with this. Or it is a, I'm walking away. And what ends up happening is that in the midst of not giving your hurt and your pain and your desperation and your doubt to God, and you try to handle it yourself and you walk away from God, what ends up happening is you become a miserable person because you never deal with that hurt and pain. I don't care how much counseling you have. I don't care how many Dr. Phil shows you watch or WebMD searches you do. At the end of the day, if you don't give those things to Jesus, there will be wounds. There will be scars. And Jesus is saying, bring those things to me. Be desperate and long for me. Just this past week, many of you know this, and I didn't ask to share this, but I don't think they would mind, just so we can continue to pray for them. But a sweet family of our church, the Thomasons, um, great, great family. Uh, Jeff died this past week. 54 years old, married, three kids that go here, grandkids that go here. I mean, a shock. And one of the things in the midst of grief and just counseling and, man, lots of prayer, their oldest son, Josh, said, Dustin, you know, 
He said this at the funeral yesterday. I've never felt this close to God. And I said, well, why, do you, why do you think that is? He said, because I'm talking to him more than I've ever talked to him before. I'm reading scripture and his word more than I ever have before. And I'm just trusting him. Man, most of the time, we don't feel close to God because we're not doing any of those. And in the midst of this lowest point, man, Thomas's family, they are desperate and longing for God to speak and to heal those wounds. And so there has to be this desperation that each of us have, this urgency. Do we want God to do amazing things in us? And if so, do we long for him? Not the things of him, but of him. Secondly, we see that there's this tension that we will face. Now, we will face a tension as believers when God is doing this in our lives, and if we want it, in two different ways. We see in this passage, we see that there's an internal tension and an external tension. The internal tension, think about it, he's evaluating, he's not schizophrenic, he's listening uh, and talking to himself. He's saying, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you, why are you um, in turmoil within? There's this internal struggle. There's this internal battle that he's just wrestling with. He's like, where are you, God? Have you forgotten me? I think it's fair to say that probably all of us in this room have had moments in our lives that we feel like, where are you, God? Where are you? And it's this battle within. And what ends up happening is if we're not longing for God, we're longing for something else. And that usually um, is something that we desire. So we take the things that are supposed to be satisfaction coming from God, and we try to find satisfaction coming from the things of this world. We see this in 1 John. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And those are harsh words. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so when we stop longing for God and we start longing for things of this world, we fall prey to uh, lust, porn addiction, drugs, alcohol, trying to fill a need, fill a void, and fill that sense of long, uh, longing when that should be in Jesus that should be in God alone. So there's that internal tension that is, is magnified in our lives and that. But then we also have the external tension. People around us that are saying, hey, God's not real. That church thing, that's so dumb. I don't know why you believe that. There is no God. Why do you go to church? That just seems so stupid. And the truth is we live in a world that's lost and broken. We can't expect our world just to rally behind us and our beliefs and trying to follow Jesus. And it's not like we step into our jobs tomorrow and say, hey guys, I just became a Christian yesterday. And people are like, yeah. It's like, okay, shut up. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we have cheerleaders left and right. We need each other. But our longing, our sense of security has to be in Jesus and in God. And that's what, in this tension, 
The psalmist, even when he's looking and evaluating, why is this turmoil, this battle within me? He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Why? Because he's my salvation. And he's my God. It's personal. So in times of this tension, to remember that God is the God of our salvation, first love, and for us to put our hope in him in the midst of those difficult circumstances. And then third, and we're about to read Psalm 43, we see that in revival, and for God to do something in us, there's a renewal that we need. In Psalm 43, the writer continues, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now, I love this line. He writes, Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling, to your presence. And I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Then he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And he concludes once again, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the thing is that when we're going through stuff, when we're facing that tension and we're desperate or we've forgotten where God is and we're like, where are you? Man, look to God. You're not alone. He's there. He wants to use you. He wants to do something amazing in you. And just in this, as that battle is happening, He's saying, don't look to the world. Don't look to the battle within. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, I don't know if you know who Corrington Boone is. Uh, Incredible, amazing story. So many incredible books. But her and her family protested the Nazi regime. They helped uh, rescue and uh, free lots of Jews. But her and her family were actually arrested and taken captive. And they actually ended up escaping and getting um, out of uh, Nazi control. But I love this quote that she says. She says this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. And if you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you will be at rest. So true. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. And I know that's easier said than done. But in a world that tells us to look at everything else, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the one that's going to stir something in us that forgives us, that ultimately gives us hope and joy. And let us, in this battle, be reminded He is our hope. And I love it when the psalmist says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. So I want to close with this passage And I would write this down. You can put it on your phone. I challenge each of us to really let this be our prayer each and every day this week. Just pray this, right? You don't have to think of any fancy words. You just read it. But let it be on your heart every single day this week. I know I'm going to do this. But the psalmist writes this. This is Psalm 51. 
verses 10 through 12. I think this is so powerful, and then I'll pray. Psalmist says this, let this be our prayer in the days ahead. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray together. Father, that is our prayer. Right now in this moment, I know many of us, we are so stressed out. We're tired. Not from staying up late, just from watching the game or what, you know, doing something, but Father, we're physically exhausted. Might be stressed at job or trying to manage our family and just parenting and finances, even our marriage. And Father, we come right now in desperate need of you. Not of the things or more of the things of this world or what our friends say we need to do, but Father, of you and you alone. And so, Father, that is our prayer, that you would give us a clean heart. You would renew a right spirit within in us, that you, your spirit would be with us. Your presence would be right next to us in such a way that we know that you, you are walking by our side. Let us desperately long for you. Let us keep our eyes on you. And as times of battle within or the external pressures of life come, Father, let us long and desire. We want more of you, God. We want more of you. Let that be the desire of our hearts. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand and celebrate and worship together.